Uh, if you turn in your Bibles, if you uh, have one with you, if you have Google on your phone or a Bible app or whatever, turn into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Now, if you are new to the Bible, uh, then the new, 1 Corinthians is in the New Testament, and so never be ashamed to look at the table of contents to help you find it because that's what it's there for. Uh, when I say chapter, that's the big number on the page, the bold number. Verse is the small number. And so chapter 15, we're going to be looking at verse 1. And while you're turning there, uh, I want to tell you about a t-shirt. So we've all seen the t-shirts from sports teams or from colleges or whatever that say property of USC or property of Texas A&M or property of the Dallas Cowboys or whatever it is. And so we've, we've seen those everywhere, but do you know why those shirts actually say that? In 1932, the athletics department at the University of Southern California, or USC, uh, had a theft problem. They had shirts that said University of Southern California, or USC, and uh, all the students kept taking them. And so they thought, we're going to fix this problem by saying, this is our property. And so they put property of USC. What happened is that actually backfired and it made the shirts even more popular. And so everyone started stealing those shirts. And so they decided, well, hey, this is a kind of a lucrative thing. And so they turned that into a uh, pretty, uh, pretty important business for them. So they started selling T-shirts that said property of USC. And now you see those shirts are everywhere. And, uh, and so like, I always saw them around, but I never actually knew, like, why, does, like, why do you wear a shirt that says property of Dallas Cowboys? And now I know the point is to make us all look like little thieves. And so, like, that's, that's where it is. Uh, but, but similarly, similarly, like when we think about the resurrection, so Easter, Easter Sunday is coming around, like we're like, oh, the resurrection of Jesus is like, yes, it's like important. But the truth is that a lot of the time when I was thinking about the resurrection of Jesus, I never actually understood why it was important. Like it never made sense to me. And so like I didn't like doubt the resurrection. Like I knew it was important. I knew I needed to believe it. And so I didn't like disbelieve the resurrection, but I never understood the significance of it. Like it, like, it didn't make sense. Like, okay, like he, de- he defeated death or he was accepted by God or it proved that what he said was true. And like all those things are true, but like it what didn't really add up to me. And so then I stumbled upon... First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, which is the most, like the, the most extensive uh, dealing with the resurrection in the New Testament. And uh, so Paul is writing to the people in Corinth, and, he, and at the end they, they have a question of like, is there a resurrection? Like, what does it mean? And he writes a whole chapter on saying, here's why it's important. And so this chapter was actually really helpful to me. And, uh, and so let's look at, like, before we get going, I want to see... Paul's explanation of the gospel here, uh, because, because it's, it's, it's really interesting to me, because when I share the gospel, my focus is always on Jesus' death, right? It's always on Jesus died, and so therefore what that means is that he was our ransom price, and he, re- he redeemed us from slavery, or he was our, pro- our sacrifice of propitiation, which means he was a sacrifice in our place uh, and to where God's wrath goes on him and not on me. And, uh, and so, like, we always talk about his death. I always talked about his death because that made a lot more sense to me. And then I would just tag on the resurrection at the end of saying, oh, and he rose, he rose at the end, and now he's alive. And, 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 so, uh, and so I want you to see 
Paul's explanation of the gospel in the first eight verses of chapter 15. And by the way, when I say the word gospel, what that means is good news. Good news. Gospel means good news. And so, uh, so there's not like a, a magical force like Star Wars. Say it's the powers in the gospel. Like there's not like a magical like Star Warsy and Yoda's going to do something and the gospel's going to do voodoo. No, like gospel is news. And so just as you turn on NBC5 and watch Meredith Land tell you about someone else who was shot, like that's news, okay? And this is the same thing. The gospel is news about something that happened 2,000 years ago. That's what the gospel means. Now, look at his explanation of the gospel. Look at this. Look at, verse, look at verse 1. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So this is, this is what he's saying. Like, this is the gospel. This is the thing your, your church is founded on, you're believing in. This is what it is. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. This is it. One, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Two, that He was buried. Three, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And four, that He appeared to Cephas. That's, that's Peter's real name. He appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, so all the disciples. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. You know what's interesting about this gospel presentation to me? How many verses does Paul give about Jesus' death? One. How many words does he give to his burial? Three. He was buried. And that was only serving as a transition point to, to make it like known, like he really died, and so what happens next is super significant. How many verses does he give to his resurrection? Four. And so the point in Paul's gospel presentation is that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And so for him, the main emphasis of the gospel is his resurrection. And in fact, this is in line with all of apostolic preaching, or the, basically what that means, New Testament preaching. So when Peter preached in Acts, the first sermon, it was all about his resurrection. Or when Peter's preaching in Greece, like he, he is preaching two guys, and he's saying, he's preaching about this thing called the resurrection, and they thought it was a different God, this God called resurrection. And so this is like the, the preaching of like the, the, uh, the apostles was about the resurrection, and so for them, it's like, this is super important, and so for me, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me, because you're talking about his resurrection, and so here's, here's where it's at. This is difficult for us to understand because we have a faulty view about what happens after we die. So we have this cultural idea that once you die, your spirit leaves your body, and then you ascend to heaven somewhere out there to this spirit land where it's different, and, and you're going to be up there forever away from this earth, away from physicalness, 
we, we assume, like, that is it. Like, like heaven is this, this is going to be our end, and we're going to be there forever in this eternal church service. Like, like, that's our assumption about what happens after we die. That's not biblical. Like, that's not what happens after. Like, 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 that is not the end goal for us. And so there may be a period in which, like, after we die, we, we go somewhere, but, like, that is not, like, our end. Like, that's not it. That's not the hope of the gospel. And so when we have that mindset, that creates problems for us in understanding the resurrection because we assume, well, if he didn't die, I mean, if he didn't resurrect from the dead, if Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then that's okay because he'll still be alive somewhere else. And we, see, we think the same thing for us, right? We think, like, well, if there's no resurrection, that's okay because there's still this other place where I'm going to be. That's not the biblical picture of life after death. That's not the biblical picture of what things are going to look like in the end. And so, and so for us, like, we, we, we get caught up with that or we think about that. And so what, what the Scripture tells us is, like, no, death is your great enemy. Death is your great enemy because without something after that, without Jesus doing something, there is nothing after it. That's what he's saying. And that's why something about a resurrection, that's why a resurrection is deeply or vitally important for us because being physical is what it means to be a human. Like, like it's what it means to be a person. Like, it, like if you are separated out, separate the different parts of you out. You have a spirit here, and you have a body over here, and you have, like, separated. That's not a person anymore. Like, you were made to be physical. Like, you were made to, like, live on earth. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. When they were created, they were created good. They were created, like, according to God's design. And, and before sin entered the world, what were they? Physical beings. Where were they? On earth. What did they do? They worked jobs. He was a farmer. They were married. And so, like, so like, like that is, like, that's, like, the goal for humans. Like, that's what it means, like, to be human. That's our, like, that's where we want to be. And so, and so, so truthfully, like this, is, like, this is the problem because death puts an end to that. Death is like the insurmountable wall that is, faces every single one of us in this room. Like one day you are going to die. And the question is, is what happens after that? Like, 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 like the question is like, like, if that's the case, what hope is there? What hope is there if death is all that awaits you? And that's the question that the, that the Corinthians are asking, and that's the question that Paul is answering, is what hope is there if death is all that's in front of you? Look at verse 12. Here's what he says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Now, I'm not going to give an apologetic for the resurrection because the truth is that uh, it's so culturally ingrained within us that we think, oh, no, Jesus really did rise from the dead. Like, like, a lot of us here don't doubt that he rose from the dead, but a lot of us 
don't understand the significance of it, right? And so, and so what Paul is saying is if Christ has not been raised, like if there is no resurrection or, or like, like if there weren't one, Christianity would not exist like as you know it. Like it would not exist at all. If there were no resurrection, your faith, your Christian religion is totally worthless. It's totally in vain. Look at verse 17. If Christ had not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. If we remove the resurrection or disregard it or don't place it up as the centerpiece of the gospel, then our faith in Jesus is worthless. Why? Because if there's no resurrection, there is nothing beyond your grave. There's nothing beyond you, like you being in the ground or you being in the urn that your grandchildren are not going to know what to do with in the future. Like, like that's, that's it. There's nothing beyond that. Well, back, uh, my grandfather actually was, uh, the, his name's Paul Miller. He was the pastor of First Baptist White Settlement for quite a long time. And uh, I was cleaning out his house with my dad. And as we were doing this, like, we, I was, we were boxing up his whole life, and, and, like, he lived an incredibly full life, incredibly full life, and so we were boxing up pictures of his family, like, like from the 1920s, where they were on their farm in Missouri, uh, and, and then, like, we saved his World War II uh, outfits, like, uh, memorabilia, his Marine uniforms, and uh, the memorabilia from that, from the 1940s, and then, uh, then we boxed up pictures uh, and books and dissertations from his many degrees he earned, uh, and 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 so he had so many things happen over the course of his life and over the course of his forty something years or thirty something years at First Baptist White Settlement. Like he had this, he had so much happen. God did so many things through him, uh, and and so like as we're looking at all this stuff in this house, like I'm looking at this incredibly full life. Like, the, like a man who, like, lived it well. Like, he, he went to the end of his life pursuing Jesus, following Jesus, and, and like, someone that I want to be, like, like, one day I want to be like my grandfather. But you know what else I was started feeling as we were cleaning out that house? I started to start to feel, feel a little bit, like, despondent or sad. Because even someone who is 90-something years old, he passed away in January, by the way, uh, even someone who has, like, lived well into their 90s, had an insanely full life, accomplished an insane amount, dies. Even that person comes to the end of their life. And that's just, like, I was certain, I was, like that, that started to sink in for me as we were cleaning out his house. And look at verse 19. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. If your faith in Christ is only for this life only, if there's nothing like beyond what's happening here, then we should be pitied more than anyone. I've actually heard it preached uh, before uh, that, that where, where the guy said, even if there were no eternal life or they were, there was no heaven, following Christ would still have been worth it for me. And I get where he's coming from. I get the sentiment of like, like following Christ was good for him and it was freedom from slavery and all that kind of stuff. 
But the truth is that, like, try telling that to a Christian in Syria. You know? Like, 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 hoping for, like, this life only, like, it, it doesn't make sense. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He said this. It'll be on the screen for you. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. That's the call of Jesus on our lives. He says, listen, I want you to come and I want you to die. I want you to give up your life and pursue me with everything in you. And, and so die to yourself, give up yourself, give up your life in order to follow me. And he says, like, I want you to follow my command. I want you to go where I want you to go. I want you to leave your family behind and go, and go pursue me. And if that's the end, that's not salvation. That's evil. Like, if there's nothing beyond that. And so, listen, I'm, I'm going to read a couple things to you. Because for some people, pursuing Christ is actually meant literally dying. So, there's a guy, this is the Apostolic Fathers, which basically what that means is these were the, the first like, pastors of the churches back in the 100s and 200s uh, after Jesus died. And so, the, the first Christians and pastors after the disciples. And there's a guy named Ignatius. And, uh, and we see him just for a couple weeks at the end of his life, and he is on, uh, he's, he's, he's a captive, he's got uh, Roman soldiers uh, that are taking him back to Rome uh, from his church in Antioch, which is in Syria, and it was actually the most missional, it was like the missional church of the world, and, uh, and he was the pastor of it, and he's been arrested and is being taken back to Rome uh, to be killed. And I want, you, I want to read you a couple things from his letters that he wrote. This is his letter to the church in Rome where he's going. He says, I've never envied anyone, or you've never envied anyone. You taught others. And my wish is that those instructions that you issue when teaching disciples will remain in force. Listen to this. Just pray that I will have strength both outwardly and inwardly so that I may not just talk about it by following Christ, but may actually want to do it. Like, he's on his way to his death, and he's like, pray that I would pursue Christ and, like, be faithful to him even to my death. Not that I would just, like, say I would do it, but I would actually live it out. So that I may not merely be called a Christian, but actually prove to be one. And the work is not a matter of persuasive rhetoric. I'm not just trying to be, be funny or nice. Rather, Christianity is greatest when it is hated by the world. Here's what he says later on. He says, I'm writing to all the churches and I'm insisting to everyone that I die for God of my own free will unless you hinder me. He's writing to these Christians saying, don't do anything to stop this. I implore you, don't be unseasonably kind, unkind to me. Let me be food for the wild beast though I, uh, through whom I can reach God. I am God's wheat, and I am being ground by the teeth of the wild beast so that I may prove to be pure bread. 
Better yet, I'll coax the wild beasts so that they may become my tomb and leave nothing of my body behind, lest I become a burden to anyone once I have fallen asleep. Then I will truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ when the world will no longer see my body. Pray to the Lord on my behalf so that through these instruments I may prove to be a sacrifice to God. That's Ignatius. He's on his way to his death. And there's something in that he's probably writing, trying to give himself courage. But he's on his way to his death saying, hey, I'm going to die. Pray that I'll be faithful and don't do anything to stop what's happening here. Here's the second thing. This is from World Magazine. And this is is a great magazine, by the way. It's it's a Christian perspective, but it's news from the world. It's edited by a guy named Marvin Alasky, who's totally uh, reliable. And uh, uh, and so this is about uh, Christianity in, in China right now, actually. And let me, let me read this to you. On a Sunday in fall of 2017, I arrived in, in somewhere in China. I can't read it. Uh, and, and he got to a church, and that Sunday, an elder preached Philippians 2 to a packed sanctuary. The latecomer slipped into a side classroom to watch a live feed of the service, and when the pastor baptized, uh, or then the pastor baptized more than a dozen people, and then the congregation sang a hymn together. That was back in 2017. Today, Sunday mornings look differently for early rain. That's the, the church is called early rain. Instead of meeting all together, they gather in homes for worship and log into an encrypted video conference call to hear the sermon. With the church's leaders imprisoned, small group leaders pastor church members. And so members have left the church due to the pressure. Even meeting in homes carries a risk. In February, officers raided two gatherings and took all 44 churchgoers into the police station for questioning. Jingdu authorities shut down early rain in December, and since then they've taken more than 300 churchgoers to the police station. Twelve remain in detention. Authorities are holding Pastor, uh, Pastor Yi and his wife in secretive detention on charges of inciting subversion to state power, which could result in up to 15 years of prison. Continuing on, many people uh, have been, have been uh, uh, banished from the city. They've had to return to their hometowns, uh, while other churchgoers have lost their jobs or their homes. Those who have been released from prison tell of both beatings by the police as well as, catch this, opportunities to evangelize uh, to fellow inmates. So even then, while they're in prison or in jail, they're sharing Christ with other people around them. Christians face pressure outside of Sunday worship as well. Employers would ask Christian employees to either renounce their faith or lose their jobs. And here's the last part of this. There's another church. The husband of one of the uh, imprisoned early rain members tried to visit his wife in December, but the police threw him into prison for five days. At the time, Shin was not a Christian, and when the police asked him what he thought about Wang's preaching, he answered that he didn't know because he never listened to Wang's sermons. While he was in prison, many people eagerly wanted to hear the gospel, so Shin told them what he knew, and when it was time for Shin to be released, the other inmates decided to wash his feet in hot water, which deeply touched him. And, and once he returned home, he started listening to the guy's sermons. And after a few weeks, he professed faith in Christ. In March, he posted on social media how he agreed with one of the pastor's sermons. He posted on Facebook or whatever their version of it is. 
Let me find my place here. And the police immediately went to his house and arrested him and carted him back to prison. Wang and other house church pastors have been preparing for this latest wave of persecution. Last September, a group of house church pastors, including Wang and Pastor Ezra of of Zion Church and, and another one, issued a statement condemning the government's crackdown. It was later signed by more than 400 pastors who are bold, man. And they pledged, for the sake of the gospel, we are ready to shoulder losses, and if we have to, pay the price of losing freedom and even life. All that to say, Christianity here, to where we attend church occasionally, or attend church a lot, and assume that's like, that is what following Christ means, like, like across the world, people can't meet like this. Like people like are carried off to their death or carried off to like, like to prison or to jail for a couple of days, like for visiting their wife or for hearing or listening to a sermon and agreeing to it. Actually, today in Sri Lanka, Christians there in multiple, multiple churches and multiple hotels uh, had, had their places bombed. Over 450 people are injured. Over 207 died this morning. And so the reality is, is if Jesus says, follow me, like give up your life to pursue me, if there's nothing beyond the grave, then that's purely evil. And so the all-important question for, 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 for Paul and for all of us today is what happens after we die? And what Paul is telling the people of Corinth, and he's telling all of us in here, is that our great hope in Christ is a resurrection. That's what he's saying. That is why Jesus' resurrection is significant. Look at verse 20. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, but so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Number one, Christ, the first fruits. And afterward, at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Here's what that says. Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits. What's a first fruit? In a harvest, the very first crops that come, like the first, the first wheat or the first corn, that is the first fruits. And he says, Jesus' resurrection is that. And if that's the case, what does that mean? It means there is an entire harvest of resurrections following his that's what it is. And that is what completes the gospel. That's what the hope of the gospel is. And so when you believe in Jesus, it's not simply, hey, God forgives you for your sin, or God rescues you from slavery to sin in order to give you freedom, or give you life today, or fix your relationships with your kids, or with your spouse, or with your ex-wife, or whatever it is. Like, the hope of the gospel is not simply that, because if that's all it is, we're all dying anyway. So what does it matter? What completes the gospel 
is the fact that after we face death, that is not our end. All who belong to Christ, who pursue Him with their lives, will resurrect just like He did to dwell with Him on a renewed earth. That is our great hope. That is our great hope. And look at verse 58, because this has profound ethical significance for us. This has profound significance for the way that we live today. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, don't want to leave you out. Sorry, that's my bad. Be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work. Why? Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What he means by that? You will resurrect one day. And so if you die now or give up your life now in order to gain Christ, then that is for your good. That's what Jesus says, right? It's like, like or Jim Elliot, remember Jim Elliot, and I think he's quoting Jesus here. He is, but I'm just, I'm going to get it wrong here. But he says, like, it's, it's like no fool to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose, right? Like, if you give up your life now in order to gain Christ, you are gaining something that you cannot lose, which is your resurrection. But if you don't give up your life now, if you don't pursue Christ now, then guess what's not coming for you? You are not resurrecting with him in the end. You are not going to dwell with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And so that's where we're at. That gives us the motivation to live for Christ now. That gives us the motivation to die to ourselves, to give up our preferences, to give up our time, to give up our money, to give up like, like, our, like our hopes of like a certain promotion or whatever it is, like, like pursuing worldly things, pursuing like a new truck or whatever it may be for all of us. That gives us motivation to live for Christ. Second thing it does, gives us motivation to persevere through so many things like sickness, through cancer, through dementia. It gives us motivation to, 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 to persevere in following Christ when things come against us, like, like horrible things, when death of a loved one comes. When these things come, what happens? We can believe in Christ and wholly hold fast to Christ because we know that this sickness, this money issue, this messed up relationship with my child that I'm so desperately trying to fix, when these things like are wholly gripping us and we say, I just want to get away from this, like, like I just want away from this, like wish things were better, guess what? In Jesus, it will. It will get better because you will resurrect you will resurrect with him unto a new earth away from sickness, away from tears, away from sorrow, away from bombings, away from money issues. And so we can live for him today because we know that a reward is coming with him. And that is the hope of the gospel. And so we can pursue Christ today because he lives. And so because Jesus lives, so will we. If you've never met Jesus, if there's something that's compelling in this towards you, 
Like, if there's something in this year, like, man, I don't have that, or I've never heard that before, I don't have this relationship with Jesus, like you're describing, I've never given up my life to follow Him in order to gain a resurrection with Him in the new heavens and the new earth, you can. Like, you can. You can meet Him today. Here's what it means to find, like, here's how, like, you initiate, like, the first conversation with him. You say, Jesus, I know that I've messed up. I know that I'm going to die hopeless away from you, and so I want to follow you with my life. I believe your death was for me, and now I want to live for you. That is the first step. That's, like, that's what it looks like to pursue Jesus, like, in your first step with him. And so if you've never done that, you can you can. And for the rest of us, if you have already taken that step, you say, I do want to follow Jesus, then this is your opportunity to praise God because he has delivered you from your slavery to death.